The reading this morning is from Colossians, chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. And it can be found on page 987 in the Pew Bibles, starting with chapter 3. Pardon me, verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred to us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Well, let me encourage you to grab a copy of God's Word, um, whether it be one that you brought with you or if, as Jim mentioned there, there is a copy of the Scriptures available in the seats there for you. And stay in Colossians 1, page 983. We're continuing our series about being a praying church, and we've discussed several different uh, aspects of prayer or... um, you know, defined it in some ways. We defined it as a conversation with a loving Father. Uh, last week, we looked at the, the model prayer, or what people often refer to as the Lord's Prayer, right? Uh, what we want to do today is we want to take one of Paul's prayers here, the Apostle Paul's Prayer, look at that as an example as well. What we're trying to do is we're trying to inform how we can pray, because as, uh, as was said, you know, what Mia talked about, uh, you know, sometimes prayer, you say the same things or seem a little boring at times. And, you know, all of us have been there, okay? And, uh, but when we look at how Paul prayed, when we look at the Lord's Prayer, we look at what prayer actually is, you know, how can it be boring? I understand why we go there. I understand why we, we're tempted in that way. But, boy, when we think about what prayer actually is and how these people prayed and how we should be praying, 
is very instructive to us. So one of the things that you notice in the beginning right away is, you know, verse 3 when he talks about he always thanks God. And so prayer is a constant for the Apostle Paul. That's very instructive to us. We look at what he prayed about. They were mainly spiritual things in nature. It's not wrong to pray for physical things. We looked at that last week with Jesus' model prayer. The Apostle John is going to talk about praying for health in one of his letters. And so it's not wrong to pray for physical things. And that was the, the kind of the beautiful things about Jesus' uh, uh, statement there in the, in the Lord prayer. But when you look at Paul's prayers, you see that he, one of the things that he was most concerned about was the spiritual well-being or the people in general, who the people were of his friends. A little bit of background quickly before we dive into our main section, which is going to be verses 9 through 12. But um, a little bit of background here. He's just done the introduction to uh, this church at Colossae. Uh, Paul did not start this church in Colossae. You know, when he uh, was writing to the Galatians, that's a region, there was churches that he started in Galatia that he was writing to. When you think of like the Philippians, he was there at Philippi when the church started. You read about that in Acts 16. With Colossae, he wasn't there. He, he was not there, so we don't know exactly how the church started. I mean, we have some theories, but we don't know exactly how it was started. But so he's writing to a group of people that he did not begin this church. He did not start this church. And so the relationship is a little bit different. But yet, if you were to compare, and we won't have time today, but if you were to compare Paul's prayer that I read earlier in, in, in Philippians chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 1, you're going to see some very, very, a lot of similarities there. Um, it just goes to show you what was in the heart of the Apostle Paul. So our goal today is to look at how Paul prayed for his friends at the Church of Colossae. So he's praying for the church. And with the intention of, hopefully when we look at this, we have four headings that we're going to quickly work through, is um, how should we be praying for our church? How should you be praying for each other, the people that you're sitting by right now, the, the people in your small group, uh, the other people who make up the church that can't be here today, how should you be praying for them, okay? How should they be praying for you, right? That's what we're hoping to answer as we look at this text here. I'm going to pause, ask God's blessing, and uh, then we'll just jump in. Father, thank you for the opportunity to open your word. Thank you for the opportunity to... Uh, to look at the scriptures, and we pray that the time we spend together would be helpful. Um, we pray that it would be, um, that I would be led by your spirit as I, as I teach, and um, that you would remove distractions, and that your spirit would use your word to change lives. And that, that's the only way that anything positive is going to happen is if you do it, God. And so right now, we're just depending on you for all things, and we're grateful. We're grateful we have this time. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. So it's pretty apparent that Paul wants the Colossians to know the will of God so they could live lives that pleased him. So what were some of the specific things that he prayed about? First of all, you can see in the text that when Paul prayed for the Colossian church, he was praying for a fruitful church. He was asking them that they would bear fruit. And you see this in verse 6, okay, they're saying that that's what they were doing. But then later on in, a, in verse 10, he says, this is what he's praying for. And being filled with the knowledge of his will, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, bearing fruit in good works here. Um, 
here's the point that we need to make out of this is that as a Christian, bearing fruit is expected. Now, what do we mean by bearing fruit? When we say, okay, a Christian is supposed to bear fruit, what does that actually mean? Well, there's, there's a metaphor that Jesus used in John chapter 15 where he talks about that he is divine, we are the branches, and that we are to produce fruit by being connected to the vine, by being connected to him. There is supposed to be evidence of being connected to the vine, okay? So, there's supposed to be a transformation. There's supposed to be uh, uh, things that we do. And here it talks about the idea of good works. Now, us being in the Protestant tradition, uh, we sometimes are like, hey, good works, wait a minute here, those are not necessary for salvation, okay? Because we have other uh, theological uh, thought that says, no, good works, that, that earns salvation, that we have to do things. And not, not even, uh, uh, in fact, many of the major religions of the world at some base level teach this, that you do enough good things, then you will receive the eternal reward, whatever that looks like according to their tenets of faith. Not so with Christianity. Christianity says that we can't do enough good works to earn eternal life. It says we can't earn it. But having said that, we are supposed to be people who produce. We're supposed to be people that bear fruit. We're supposed to do that in the evidence of through what the, the, the Scriptures teach good works. Later on, or in another letter, Paul writing to Titus, he's going to talk about it a couple different times in chapter 2 and chapter 3 of that we need to be zealous for good works, devoted to good works. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, when he's writing to the Ephesians church, Paul wrote to them and he says, listen, that, that you know, we're, we're by grace or saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Then in verse 10, he says, we are his workmanship created unto Christ Jesus for good works. Okay, so the scriptures are clear that we are supposed to live a changed life. We're supposed to live a life that is producing fruit, that is evidence of being connected to Jesus. So this is what Paul wants for the church, and this is what we want for here. We want us to, to exhibit evidence that, hey, being connected to Christ has changed us. Be, being part of the body of Christ it is, is causing a difference in us, and that, that we're devoted to caring for one another, and we're devoted to good works here. Um, and so uh, the question comes is if there, are no, if there is no fruit, then what do we do about that? What does that mean? Well, let's think about it, you know, how would we respond um, if, let's say, you have uh, a financial planner. Let's say you have a, a financial advisor, okay, and you meet with this person and they give all the advice and then you know what you start with, and then a year later, you end up with half of what you started with, okay? What do you do at that point, okay? Well, it's only money, okay, <laughs> right? Well, now you probably are like, well, wait a minute here. I'm paying you to, to help me make good decisions here, and, and what's the basis of you wondering should you stay with that person? Let's go in a different analogy, okay? Sports. Let's go to the sports world for a minute. Um, uh, I just saw that the Patriots uh, fired one of the coaches, and the reason why it stood out to me is because this uh, one of the coordinators used to be the Lions head coach for a short time. The Lions head coaches, I mean, it's, they have lots of jobs that they used to work, okay? All right. What do you do in sports? What do, sports is a cutthroat thing, and they say, listen, um, you're not producing, you're out. Urban Meyer, 
one of the greatest college coaches probably, um, and this has come from a Michigan guy, okay, one of the greatest college coaches ever did a great job, went to the NFL, did terrible, didn't even last the whole season, and they cut him. Why? It's because he wasn't producing. He says, you're done. Now, I'm not saying that the church has to have the same mentality of the world, but what I am trying to say is that it's not wrong to have expectations of, listen, there should be fruit here. There should be results here. Things should be happening here, and they're not. And when they're not, you need to ask the question. Now, there might be a lot of reasons why. There might be some legitimate reasons why that whatever happened, happened. But you have to at least ask the question. So when Paul is praying for this church at Colossae, he says, I want this church, I want them to be bearing fruit because unlike those other examples that I just gave, when we are connected to Christ, we will bear fruit. There will be fruit. But the point is, is many times then, instead of obeying Christ, we disobey. Instead of being devoted to good works, we become devoted to comfort. We become devoted to our own selves. And this is what Paul is pushing at here. Is he's saying, listen, I want you to bear fruit. It's to be expected. The way he writes this, he says, I want you to keep bearing fruit. So it should be consistent. It should be something that we constantly do. It's not just once uh, a while uh, or once in a while or we look back to a time in our life and it's like, yeah, I remember I was on fire for God. Or I remember there was this time where I was close to God. Or I remember that, that there was, there's, I, was, I was doing Bible studies and I was doing all this stuff. Then the question, I, I just say, that's wonderful. That's awesome. But what about now? You see, with the way Paul writes is, is that he says, I want you to be consistently bearing fruit. And so some, you might be thinking, or some, some people, they may have a history where at one time they were hugely involved. At one time they were bearing fruit. But if we ask now, if we look at their lives now, it's where is it at now? So when we say what Paul is praying for this church, is I want you to be consistently bearing fruit. I think that's a good prayer request for us, for us to think about that we are people who are devoted to good works because it's, it's a result of the gospel at work in our lives. And so the fact that he's, he's praying for them indicates that, that Paul felt that, that it was something that God had to help them with. Okay? Bearing fruit is not something that you and I can just like say, okay, I'm just going to go do it. We've got to be dependent upon God. And so what, I, uh, what I'm trying to do now is I'm trying to round out a possible misunderstanding of what I've just said in the last five minutes. A possible misunderstanding is, is that, hey, you guys just got to kind of get it together here, all right? Or we have to get this together. We got to start doing good works. That's not going to last. It's really not going to last. It has to be something that comes out of our relationship with Christ, out of our fellowship with Him, because there's where the power lies. There's where the consistency lies, and so the question is, are you walking with Christ? Do you know Christ? Do you, do you fellowship with him? Are you, are, you, are you someone who is just amazed at God? Do you talk with God? This is one of the reasons why we want to be a praying church is because we have to be connected to the source of all of what, this is, what, what we're trying to do here. So first of all, as we look at the text here, uh, Paul, he's praying that this church is a fruitful church. And so the question comes is, does it matter to you if your brothers and sisters in Christ are bearing fruit? Does it matter to you that the people that you sit by in church, that they're producing fruit for God? Does that even matter to you? Or it's like, hey, listen, I'll do me, they do you. You know, they'll do them, I'll do me. You know, we, as, as a body of Christ, we're supposed to be encouraging one another, exhorting one another. Um, and so it starts with by praying for them. 
Uh, there, there's another one, and we have four that we're going to work through, so I need to move on. The second one is that Paul, he prayed that not only would they be a fruitful church, but in the text it says that they would be a maturing church or a growing church in this way. Um, it says that they may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, um, and increasing in the knowledge of God, verse 10 there. Um, so he wants them to be this, this church that is growing and deepening and maturing. Um, and, and this is something that, that he says that, that he, he wants them to know him more. Um, God is a God. This is an amazing concept. Think about this. God is a God who desires to be known. He, he wants us to know him. And not just in so that we just say how, how wonderful he is, although we should do that. But he wants to give of himself to us. He wants us to have that fellowship with him. And, and think about it in a relationship. Think about a relationship that you have, maybe with a spouse or a significant other or something. And, and, you're, and you're, you're, you're walking through this relationship. And what is it? What is it that makes that relationship special? What makes it special is that that person knows you better than anyone else. And that you know that person better than anyone else else. That, 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 it's, it's terrifying on one level, but it's also incredibly beautiful. And that's what binds people together. And so what, what, what Paul is saying here, he says, I want you to, he says, my prayer is that, that you mature, that you grow in your knowledge of God, and that you're amazed by God. He says, Paul, he had this understanding of God that it absolutely just amazed him, and he, he wanted other people to have the same knowledge. Have you ever had a, um, a situation where you found out about something and it was like you just couldn't wait to tell someone about it? And it was like you, you just, you just, it was like you were trying to find a way to bring it up. Maybe it was good news about a, a job promotion, or maybe it was, uh, uh, you know, the first time you or when your child was born or something, and, and, you know, you're trying to figure out how to, how to, you know, insert pictures. Maybe for your, your grandparents in the room, the very first grandchild, and we all know that one's the special one. We all know that one, okay? The very first grandchild. It's like, hey, you're, you're working out ways to, to, uh, to, to show pictures and things. In fact, I think I heard a story. I think I heard a story when I, someone told me, it just, just came to me, this is not planned. Uh, these are always scary. But uh, here, here's the thing, is that I think I remember uh, Wayne hearing stories of leading church meetings and working in pictures of Violet. Is that true? Is that true? Okay, yeah, that's true. Yeah, proud grandpa right there. Yeah, yeah. Good news. You just want to, you want to share with people, Right? You want people to know. And Paul is saying, God wants us to know him. And Paul is saying, my prayer for this church is that we want to know God. We just want to know him. Because if we know him, it's going to change us. But how do we get to know God? Obviously through his word, through study, through prayer. I mean, it's not rocket science, but it's definitely not easy. Okay, it's not complicated, but it's not easy. It takes discipline because we're working against sin, working against the flesh, working against the devil, but it's so worth it. So here when Paul is praying, he says, I want this church to be a maturing church, a church that's growing in their knowledge of God and their appreciation of God. Now, Paul's also going to write in different places in the Scripture. He's also going to talk about how that there are some people who that they should be at a place of maturity where they're teachers and they're helping other people, 
but they haven't grown enough to do that. And so when we take the whole scope of scriptures and we look at what Paul is saying about maturity, here's the things we got to think through. We have to think through is, number one, are we praying for the spiritual growth of people around us? Okay? So the people that are part of this church, part of this church community, are we praying that we know God better? Okay? That is a biblical prayer. The second thing that we need to think through is, are we advancing in our knowledge of God. Now, think about it. And now, uh, when I'm not saying this, I'm not saying just to gather a whole bunch of uh, facts about God. Uh, there, there are plenty of people that know the Bible or know facts about God, and they have no faith and no belief in Him. So I'm not communicating here that we need to have this detached, encyclopedic knowledge of God, okay, detached from Him in faith, but what I am saying is that we have to be growing in our knowledge of God. So, do you know God better today than a year ago? Do you know God better today than 10 years ago? Now, again, some of this is hard to measure, right? Okay, It's not like there's these proficiency exams that we can give right now. right? I could give Bible quizzing and things like that and stuff like that, but that's not really going to gauge what we're after here because we can all memorize verses and we can all gather facts but still not know God. So I admit this is very subjective. I admit it's hard to measure. It's hard to quantify. But in your heart, in your relationship with God, you'll know if you know God better. So make this a matter of prayer. Make this a matter of prayer for your own soul, for your children, for this church. Can you imagine? Let me just, just, let's just, just imagine just for a second here. What, what could God do if every, let's just say the people here are here today, and numbers are down because of snow and all that stuff and everything, but it's fine, no worries. But even if just the, even the, the more smaller sampling than normal is here, if just us covenanted to pray every week that we as a church would know God more. What could God do with that? Do you think that's a prayer request that God's going to say, no, no, we're going to say no to that one. This is something that Paul is praying for the church here. This is what he's praying for his friends, and this is what we must be praying for. Um, So praying for a fruitful church, praying for a maturing church. And then thirdly, uh, he's, he's, he's praying for an enduring church. He's praying for a church that would endure because he knows that this is easy. He knows that the life is difficult here. He says, may you be strengthened. This is verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. So he's saying the reason why he's asking for strength and power according to God's might is for the endurance and patience with joy joy. So he prayed for an enduring church. He's explicit that this only comes through God's strength. Getting through difficulty, getting through trials, getting through uh, um, all sorts of things, it's going to take God's power to endure. It just will. And so this is something we've got to be praying for. We've got to pray that we would endure hostility, that we would endure a, a, a culture that is not favorable to the gospel message, that we would endure the, maybe the personal uh, uh, trials that we are going through and that we share and we bear one another's burdens here as a congregation. 
When Paul is praying for the church at Colossae, he says, I, I want you to endure. See, part of what was going on, a little bit of background here, part of what was going on is that there was some false teaching that were coming in, probably an early form of Gnosticism, if, uh, if you remember that from Adult Discipleship Hour from a couple weeks ago where we talked about there's this form of false teaching that, that was in its embryonic form during the first century here. Uh, it was called Gnosticism, which has the idea of special knowledge where it really undercut uh, the, the authority of the Scriptures and undercut even God's authority in many ways. And this is what's happening. There's false teaching going on. And so Paul, he's saying, I'm praying that you endure that well, that you know the truth. No doubt persecution was ramping up, right? And so it wasn't always popular, particularly in the Roman Empire leading into the second century. Uh, it was getting more increasingly unpopular to be a Christian. At first, they, 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 they enjoyed some uh, security by being in the Roman mind, being just kind of a, a branch off of Judaism. But then when it became very clear, when Judaism made it very clear, Christianity is not part of us, that's when Rome then said, okay, this is probably one of these these, 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 uh, these, these cults that we need to, need to stamp out. That's why you're going to see persecution rise over the next few centuries here. That was coming up. This is why Paul's praying that they would endure. Notice that he doesn't pray that they wouldn't have trials. Notice he doesn't say, I've got to figure out how to take them out of the trials. He says, I'm praying that they would endure them. And so when we pray for each other, yes, we should try to help each other. We should try to alleviate situations if, if it's best. Paul's not saying not to do that. But just understand that sometimes the best thing for us is the trial that God has us in. Even though it's the last thing we want. One of the things I loved about hearing Barbara's testimony during Adult Discipleship Hour, during Bible and Breakfast Hour, we did that. Uh, we heard her testimony, and it was just great to, to hear that. And she talks about that it was in one of the darkest moments of her life up to that point that God met her. And that began her journey to becoming a Christian. It was in a very difficult time, and she didn't share all the details and didn't need to share all the details, but it was a diff very difficult time that God met her in and used her there. He had to bring her through that. Something to think about as we pray for one another, as, 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 as we try to help one another, is that God wants us to be a church that endures according to God's might. And the reason why is because it's in those moments that that's when we see where we need to lean. Jesus, remember in Matthew chapter 11, he talks about, come unto me all you are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. That is a verse that I have to accept on faith. Because there are plenty of times, let me just be transparent here, there are plenty of times where I'm praying that and I'm like, God, Jesus, I'm trying to come to you, you've promised rest and I am not feeling it. Maybe you've been there, okay? What do we do in those moments? We have a choice to make in that moment. I'll tell you, that's what we do. We have a choice to make in that moment. The choice is, do I go with my feeling here and say, okay, I don't think he's here, or do I in faith say, Jesus, you've promised rest, and if I endure, you will give it. Help me endure. See, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about just, just, just leaning on him. Now, I can't promise you when that rest will come. I know eventually it's going to come for eternity. I can promise you that. But in this life, I can't promise you. I, I don't know. But I will say is that we need to be a church that is praying that we endure well 
we endure well. Much more that we could say about that, um, uh, you know, trials that come, it's, it's not if, it's more of when. Um, keep in mind uh, as a background piece of information here, when Paul is writing this, where's he writing this from? He's not writing this, you know, while he's on vacation someplace, um, you know, where he's got, you know, a nice drink next to him and it's, you know, nice and warm and things like this. He's writing this in prison. He wrote this letter while in prison. And what he's praying for his friends, what he's praying for this church, is that they would endure. Don't you think that he would have appreciated for them to pray the same thing for him? This is what we do for each other. We pray for endurance. Okay, so we've looked at a few different things here. We've looked at fruitfulness. We've looked at maturity. We've looked at endurance. One last thing uh, uh, this morning is Paul prayed for a grateful church. He says this, he says, um, this is, uh, uh, let's see, where is it at? He says, you may be strengthened with joy. Okay, giving, verse 12, giving thanks to the Father. And he talks about why, because he's qualified us to share an inheritance. He's delivered us from the dominion of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. He says, listen, you have so much to be grateful for. He talks about the gospel here. He talks about what God has done for him. And he says, if you truly know this, it's just going to be, I mean, it, it, there's no other response other than gratitude. And so he's praying for his friends. He's praying for this church. He says, I want you to be a grateful church. Why is that so important, that they would be a grateful church? I'll tell you why. It's because it's only out of gratefulness that true worship comes. We're not going to worship God when we're complaining about him. We're not going to worship God when we're complaining about life. Now, next week... Um, I, I think I mentioned this in church email. Interestingly enough, I'm, I'm not, I, don't, I, I, I don't know what Wayne's outline is or anything. Uh, he's going to be preaching the sermon next week, and um, he's going to be the book of Jude. One of the things I love about the book of Jude is it mentions complaining. Okay? Now, I don't know if that's part of his sermon or not and everything, but I would just say this. Read the book okay, and see where you can find the complainers. Okay? You don't have to do it now. Okay? You've got to finish listening to me, but then you can listen to him next week. Okay? But the point is, is that um, uh, you know, Jude talks about this. The Bible talks very strongly about complaining. Why is that? Why is it such a big deal that we should not be people who are prone to complain or who are always complaining? Because it means that we're not grateful. It means that we've missed what we're supposed to be grateful for. And here's what Paul does is while he's sitting in prison, while he's sharing his heart for these people that he's never met, but yet they're his brothers and sisters in Christ, he's saying, here's what I want you to do is I want you to endure. I want you to be growing. I want you to be bearing fruit. And I want you to be grateful. You've got to be grateful for what God's done. Yeah, you're having to endure stuff. Yeah, there's difficulties. Yeah, things aren't going well. Yeah, life isn't difficult. I mean, look, I'm in prison here. I get it. But we have so much to be grateful for. Of all people, we have the most to be grateful for because of what Christ has done for us. And when we meditate on that, you know what goes away? Fighting, bickering. I mean, for those of you who are parents of the room, I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine for a second. Your children, if your children are grown, imagine when they were still in the house, okay? All right? I want you to imagine for a second that you walk down, maybe downstairs, and the kids are there, and they are just incredibly grateful for everything, okay? And they're, and they're saying, you know, Dad, thanks for going to work every day. Mom, thanks for all the work you do around the house. I want you to just imagine for a second here you know, it's like, 
you know, what's for dinner, Mom? Or Dad, what's for dinner? Is over? Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. I want you to imagine for a second that then, then it's like, you know, you give them their allowance and it's like, oh, that's too much. Thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, what can I do with this, you know? I want you to imagine that you overhear your, the, your children talking with one another and they say, I'm so glad you're my brother. I'm glad you're my sister. You know, I thank God that of all the people in the world, he chose you to be my sibling. How do you respond to that? Well, you have heart attack first, okay, all right. But then you're just like, think of what goes away. There's peace, there's joy, there's love. Kind of sounds like some fruit of the Spirit action here, okay? Do you see what's going on here? Do you see why gratefulness is so important? Do you see why it's just crucial to the health of a church? Is if we're grateful. We're grateful for what God has done for us. I tell you this, when gratefulness rules our hearts, there's no room for self-sufficiency and pride. There's no room for it. That's why he says, I want you to be grateful. And then he tells us why to be grateful. It's because of what Christ has done for us. You see, don't you see that if we truly understand the gospel of Jesus dying for our sins, we truly understand the gospel of how he's, a, he's described it here, of how the, uh, he's given us forgiveness and he's qualified us to share God's inheritance. He said, you can share God's inheritance. I am qualifying you to do that. I'm not qualified naturally to do that, but he says, I'm going to let you be qualified to do that. And he's given us, to the, to, and he's delivered us from the domain of darkness and delivered us into the kingdom of his beloved son. We've gone from death to life. We've gone from being part of a, of a, a society that had no hope, to being part of a, 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 of a group that where uh, it was nothing but darkness and death that awaits us and in our spiritual condition of death, and he's made us alive, and he's given us light, and he's given us the ability to see, and he's given us knowledge, and he's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. That's what he's done if you believe in Jesus Christ. And if he's changed us so much, how can we not be grateful? And it's a struggle at times, because why is it a struggle? It's a struggle, I'll tell you why, is because when our eyes stop being up here and they start looking around here, that's when we start messing up. So, Paul here, how did he pray for his friends? How did he pray for the church? He prayed that they would be fruitful, that they would be maturing, that they would endure, and that they would be grateful. I think that's a great outline for our prayer life. We pray for one another. Pray for your children that way. Let's see here. Kind of get off topic here for a little bit there. Here's what I want us to do. I want you to look around. Say, what? Yeah, look around. Go ahead. You look around. Look around at other people, okay? Okay, look around. All right, okay. It's allowed, okay? Look around. All right, okay. All right. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down some names, Okay? Go ahead, write down some names. You know, you say, so just write down some names of people that you see, okay? Just randomly here, randomly, okay? Random, just write them down. Someone's not related to you, okay? All right, write them down, okay? And you say, oh, I see that person, but I don't know their name. All right, today's a great day to learn their name, okay? All right, just say, hey, I saw you. You know, I did this corny thing that Jeremy said to do at the end of the sermon. I looked around, I saw you, I don't know your name. 
this is a great way for you to do it, okay? All right, so, so look around, write down some names, all right? And here's what I want you to do. This week, take those four things that Paul said to pray about, that he was praying for the Colossians, pray for those four, same four things for the people that you just wrote down their names, okay? Pray that they would bear fruit this week. Pray that they would, they would grow in their knowledge of God. Pray that they would endure whatever trial or whatever difficulty that they're walking through and pray that they would be grateful for God's gospel, okay? This is not a, a judgmental, because we all need this prayer, okay? And I would love it if someone wrote down my name for these things, okay? Because I need all four of these things too. This is the goal for our church. We won't be a praying church. And the, and the text that Paul gives us here has given us some great ways, very practical ways to pray for one another.